everyone, and welcome to another episode of From the Market Square, our new business law podcast presented by Sheehan Finney. I'm your host, Paul Durham, and today I'm joined by Tina Sautel and Monty Bohannon from The Music Hall, a nonprofit center for the arts in the heart of downtown Portsmouth. The Music Hall is well known to those in the community as a true cultural anchor. But for those unfamiliar with the area, you should know that the Music Hall originally opened its doors as a vaudeville theater in 1878, and it currently exists as two venues. There's a restored and renovated 875-seat historic theater, and The Loft, a modern black box theater right down the street. Now, it's no secret that theaters and performing arts venues have been particularly hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. But the Music Hall has managed to adapt and persevere thanks to the efforts of its leadership team, its staff, corporate partners, donors, and the entire greater Portsmouth community. Tina and Monty have been a huge part of that success. Tina was named Executive Director of the Music Hall in 2020 after serving as the organization's CFO for five years. Prior to that, she spent much of her career working at the University of New Hampshire and has lived on the New Hampshire seacoast since 1992. Monty is the Music Hall's Director of Communications and Community Engagement where he oversees event marketing, PR, and community engagement initiatives at the theater. Among other roles, Monty has also served as the acting chair of the Greater Portsmouth Chamber Collaborative. I've gotten to know both Patina and Monty during my time on the board of the Friends of the Music Hall, but I seem to learn something new about the historic theater every time I talk with them. I enjoyed hearing their stories on the podcast, and I think you will too. Thanks for listening. All right, Tina and Monty, thanks for joining me on From the Market Square, our new She and Finney podcast. So you guys are the second guests that I've had on, and I'm really excited to be here. Oh, thanks for asking us. This is great. Yeah. So we're actually, I, sh- I guess I should clarify, we are sitting in, in the loft. Um, I know when, when a lot of people, and we'll talk a lot about the music hall, but when people think of the music hall, I mean, they think of, I think a lot of people think of the historic theater and may not realize that there are actually uh, two venues, right, under That's the right. music hall yeah. banner. So can, can you tell us maybe a little bit about each? of them? I mean, we could start with, with sort of the grand old theater across the street, and then we sure. can talk about the loft. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk about the historic theater, and then Monty's got some great history here with the loft, so I'll, I'll uh, pitch it over to him on that. But So uh, I think the music hall, most um, notably known in this town as being a historic theater, a historic treasure. Um, it seats 900 people uh, in times where we don't have restrictions on seating. Um, and it has gone through many hands over history, uh, a very long uh, storied history of owners and attempts to keep it alive. Uh, currently, it's run as a nonprofit organization, as the Friends of the Music Hall. It was restored back in, Monty, correct me, on the date 2008, around that time frame, went through a massive uh, restoration. And a lot of that beauty still speaks to our patrons today. It's holding strong. She's looking good. She's an old building. We like to call her Mama Music Hall here internally. What's so amazing about that venue, I think, is really what's on the stage. And it's the range of programming that has been created uh, formerly by Patty Lynch, who's just recently left us as the executive director, former executive director. So music, comedy, film, New York Times bestselling authors on the stage of the theater. And uh, we can't wait. I can't wait to talk more about how we hope to resume that programming. But um, it's certainly a very special place, we know, in many people's hearts here in, in the local Seacoast community. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of the oldest operating, continuously operating theaters in the country. Um, and one of the only ones that still uses a counterweight hemp, it's called a hemp house, um, backstage. So 
yeah, it's a it's a unique space. It's a it's a great building and a great space to see any sort any sort of something on stage or on screen. Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to go back have a couple of the backstage tours, and yeah. you know, both before and after some of the some of the renovations. The, the character and the history of the place, I think, you really appreciate it even more so when you get to go behind the scenes of what's what's going on behind there. Um, as far as some of the little special quirks that the place has, like, for example, the elephant door. Like, that's one of my yes. favorite yes. <laughs> favorite parts of it. I mean, could maybe just talk a little bit about that. People get a real sense of really what the... Re- I mean, really, when we talk about history, yeah. of the kind of programming that used to be in, in the theater. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, the theater started out as a vaudeville house in 1878, and then... Um, was renovated, its first major renovation was in, at the turn of the century, 1901, um, and they added a full full stage and fly system, so when you see sets and stuff moving in and out, up and down, that's the fly system, um, and these giant doors, that uh, stage doors, that so they could get the stage flats in that you would see as backdrops to those, those vaudeville shows, and when they were uh, installed the the local paper um, commented that they were large enough to get elephants through um, and in fact had several teams of horses come through for Buffalo Bill's uh, sideshow that performed here in the early 1900s late 1800s I, another interesting little quirk about the theater is its chandelier and what was once there before that beautiful chandelier that hangs there today we, we've been highlighting this as we've been doing backstage tours with people. We'll, we'll point up towards the uh, the rigging system in the backstage and we'll say, look at that tin can up there and you see those those light bulbs hanging from it? That was the chandelier <laughs> up until about 2014, 15? 13. 13, 13 when, when the chandelier that hangs there now was, was fixed. And the only other thing I, I think is so fascinating because people ask this question all the time, Tina, those opera boxes, why, why aren't you guys using those opera boxes for seats? And um, you have to go and sit in the opera box to, to really understand why we don't use them. It's because the sight lines to the stage are actually horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so the, our, what we've been told through um, a lot of great history uh, record keeping that's been done for the music hall is that those opera boxes were not necessarily designed for the best views to the, 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 the char- uh, actors and actresses that were on stage, but it was more to be seen as oh. prominent people within the mm. community. And so um, that's kind of a really unique thing about yeah. it. We've just recently found some creative ways to use it, which we'll talk about when we get into some of the programming that yeah. we've been doing through COVID, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's that's great, and, and uh, you know, I, I think you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the theater and how wonderful it is. Um, we talk about elephants, the elephant in the room. This past year, COVID, you can't you can't talk about any kind of business, theaters, performing venues, with without the dramatic effects that, that and challenges that, that that you guys have faced, you know, all year long, and so remarkably. Can you talk a little bit about sort of not that we want to get back in a, in a time machine and go back to March, but you know, how you address that? You know, as those challenges un- unfolded, because because you've done an amazing job. And one thing we should say right off the bat, um, you know, the music hall is open. We're going to talk about all the the current programming and, and upcoming programming, but it's required a lot of resilience. So yeah, so it sure has. I thinking about you coming in today, Paul. I was thinking about going back uh, in time and when March hit. Mm-hmm. And you know we knew this was coming, and we, we said, okay, there's going to be some some uh, cancellations, and we're going to need to shut the doors. And honest to God, there was a good week where I was like, oh, it's just going to be two weeks. 
worst case, like let's, no, this is gonna, we'll get through this. And then very, very quickly, it was four weeks, six weeks, months. And in that time, period of time, we were all, I think, uh, we went through certainly a grieving process of our business, like coming to a screeching halt and not knowing, is it gonna completely shutter? Um, are we gonna be able to keep it alive? But knowing that there was so much support for this theater and that we, were, we weren't gonna go down without giving it our all. And so I think we quickly all just, you know, uh, muscled up and said, start advocating for the music hall, start thinking about all the creative ways in which we can safely bring people back together. We worked really closely with a number of other arts organizations throughout the state and the Governor's Reopening Task Force to put together the guidelines that allowed us to be opened. That was um, a very fruitful uh, process for us. We developed closer relationships with people in the state, but also through um, many colleagues throughout the state of New Hampshire and the arts organizations. So we have those operating guidelines. Once we got those and we got the clarity um, what it meant from going from 900 seats in, in the historic theater or 120 seats here in the loft. Um, the team uh, that works here at the Music Hall was just uh, really great at coming up with a lot of different ideas. We sifted through a bunch of them and then we landed on a couple of key things that became points of joy and pride and um, were so heartwarming for so many of us. So I'll let Monty maybe talk about those, uh, the Luda Live yeah. March and Stage Door. Yeah, so what, one of the things that, that we quickly realized is that people were, were not anxious to get back inside. And certainly while the weather held here in New England um, during the, the summer and the fall, we could, uh, working with the city, we, we found we could accommodate that. So we set up um, on the street with socially distanced tables and put, the, put a stage um, under this wonderful artistic arch that we have that, that, that marks the entrance to our street. And we called it Live Under the Arch. You know, it wasn't 900 people, but it was something. And it was that people were, you know, people are creative and social beings. And after, you know, three months of being locked down, people needed that interaction. And we found that we could do it safely and do it outside um, where people felt safe coming in. And it was it was a, a great experience. I, I remember one of our front of house folks, uh, James Paoni, saying, man, that first show, man, it feels good to shake that show rust off. <laughs> you know, just having not done the thing that we all love to do. It was good to, to have an audience, to have music, and to, to be able to do that. And then once the weather did finally turn, you know, in December, we brought that similar idea inside, but instead of sitting people in the theater seats, we, we took that, that map and we set it on the stage. So we took those socially distanced tables and turned the stage 90 degrees, or turned the, the orientation of people viewing the stage 90 degrees, and actually set people on the stage with the artist also on the stage. And similar, I mean a little smaller, a little more intimate, but also a little warmer. Um, and it worked to great effect. I mean, I think that keeping people connected to us and getting that little glimmer of light 
that, that there are some things that we can choose to do and do safely and that, that feed our souls. And that's, that's what we're in the business of doing. Yeah, and you know, we have to mention we're so fortunate here in the state of New Hampshire. The reason we were able to do so much of what Monty just described is uh, the governor um, uh, set up his task force and reached out to all industries, including the arts industry and heard from us in terms of what it meant, uh, the impacts of COVID meant on our business and what would happen um, if we were to shutter our doors. So there was a lot of listening that happened at the state level. And through that, we were able to secure emergency funding through the CARES Act that was given to the state of New Hampshire. And that was significant enough for us so that we could do the small size uh, shows that, that Monty mentioned. We felt that it was important for no, a number of reasons, not only for our overall wellness as a community, knowing that we have to keep each other physically safe, there's also this mental health component that I think is a huge part of what we've all been dealing with through COVID, the isolationism, the feeling restricted, um, not being able to experience live uh, performances. We felt and we do to this day, I think, feel super strong about how important that is to our community's wellness and to what we do here as uh, arts professionals. Staying connected with our donors and sponsors was another reason for staying open. We felt like if we weren't doing anything, it would be harder to um, keep that connective tissue alive with them. So those are some really important things. And um, we also have a tremendous amount of support from volunteers and those are generally retired people. And so we knew helping them to find ways to get out of their homes safely and do what they take such pride in doing and supporting the music hall was another important reason for us to, to come back together. And we were just so thrilled to see the number of volunteers that came back and gave us their support and time and said, we can do this and we can do it safely. From personal experience, I I went to a couple of the Under the Arch um, concerts. I went to, and I remember that first one, which I think, if I'm remembering correctly, was really the first event that yes. that the music hall had, you know, after everything sort of sort of happened. Um, and it was real. I mean, obviously there were trustees there, but they're also just you know I brought you know my wife and some friends who had no association or affiliation with the music hall and. Um, there were just a lot of smiles on the street that night. I mean, the weather was nice, and, and everybody was just sort of in such you know kind of great spirits to be you know outside. And I think it was it was really important. It was really well done, and it just turned into such a great series. You know, and it allowed us to highlight an amazing partnership we've always had with the city of Portsmouth, as well as other supporters that have have helped us create that very magical space now here in downtown Portsmouth um, where that the Chestnut Street was renovated years ago through our streetscape campaign. So the beautiful marquee that's there now was placed on the outside of the building. Fresh coat of pink paint, which we are so proud of um, selecting and sticking with that color because it really has become such an eye-catching, um, iconic landmark for, for the city. But the arch, too, and being able to highlight the arch, um, which was the first piece of public art gifted to the city by the Labrie family, a uh, family that we've been very close with for many years. It felt just wonderful being able to look up at that beautiful arch and have just amazing sound happen on that street corridor, a nice glass of wine, and sitting there with your friends who maybe you hadn't seen for many, many months. Um, yeah. 
so wonderful experience all the way around. Yeah, yeah. So how about, let's talk a little bit about what's going on now, for example, because I know we're talking about the summer and, and we talked a little bit about, about the holiday programming, but how about how about now, you know, we're sitting here at the end of January as we're recording. You know, what's, uh, what, what's happening now? Yeah. What are you looking forward to for the spring? Well, we felt like getting through um, the holiday season was a big push for us in terms of the the physical nature of doing all that production for the team. We are down a, a significant number of staff, and so we, we produced all of that with fewer people. And so we knew everybody needed a good rest. Um, the Working through the, the pandemic has definitely uh, added tremendous stress to yeah. people's everyday lives. So we knew we needed to hit a pause for that reason, to keep our people healthy, but we also paid very careful attention to what's happening around us with COVID numbers and exposures and said, you know, January, everybody's going to be hunkering down and we should do the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for that reason, January has become project month here at the Music Hall. We're getting a lot of desk work uh, based projects done. Monty and his team are just just slugging through so much on the marketing end of things and IT end of things where updating policies, procedures, you know, all that kind of uh, small stuff. But some of the exciting stuff that we're starting to work on is, okay, what are we going to do this spring? What are we going to do with live streaming? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do when the restrictions are lifted? And how do we rebuild audiences? So Monty's got a lot he can offer there. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know we're starting out um, in in February with three hybrid shows. So there will be you know you can buy a socially distanced in person ticket, but you can also be able to live stream it at the same time. So we'll do three of those shows in February. Um, we've got uh, a lot of live stream literary events coming up as well. So you can, you know, there are virtual literary events where you can um, hear a presentation from the author who's getting interviewed and then buy the book. We've got uh, several of those in February and March. And, and yeah, really, I mean, I think a lot of what I'm looking at is how we start to, th- to think about reopening and bringing people back in safely again. Um, and when does that happen? And, and I think a lot of our ideas around programming and around marketing really focus on, okay, here's a plan for when this happens, when we can get to 50% of the house or when we get to back to 100% of the house um, of people being able to come in. And then, you know, but that has no date associated with it. It's like, hey, that might be September. That might be next December. Um, but so a lot of our a lot of our forecasting right now is really sort of have the plan ready, but with no no firm date associated with it. And what I'm really excited about mostly is that we're going to get you know we're going to see some more um, uh, inside events. We're going to continue to take what we learned from Live Under the Arch last year. Live Under the Arch version two comes out this spring, so we'll see some more of that out outside. Again, we're going to try and meet people where they are at and where they're comfortable, because not everybody's comfortable coming inside. Not everybody's comfortable um, sitting in the theater seat and doing some outside programming, doing some creative live stream hybrid programming is, is kind of where we see the industry going in 2021 and, and possibly into 2022. We, we also recognize that so many businesses have been severely impacted through COVID, not just the arts. Some businesses are thriving and that's wonderful. Real estate and construction, thumbs up for, for that happening. Um, but for those businesses who need to rebuild, similar to how we're going to have to rebuild, we want to know what we can do and we're out talking with those businesses about how we can collaborate with them 
to bring foot traffic back to the downtown area safely, all within the guidelines that we're all still operating today, having co active conversations with the city of Portsmouth to make sure that we're all on the same page uh, for those rebuilding efforts. And it's also a great opportunity for us just to express our gratitude for all the local businesses who have stood by our side, have supported us in, in a myriad of ways, whether it's writing a letter advocating for uh, support at the federal level or saying, I'm going to re-up that playbill ad placement this year, even though that $500, you know, I could give it in many places, but I'm still going to give it to the music hall. That level of support, we recognize, you can never say thank you enough, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so we've also been taking time to make sure that we're out there talking with those who we can be speaking with, whether it's socially distanced coffees or Zoom calls, extra letters of appreciation. Uh, we have a fantastic uh, website where we do a lot of uh, blog posting and we do a lot of writing there and then we try to express our, our appreciation um, through those methods as well. Yeah, and working on working on partnerships like, like how can we help? Because um, one of the things that really makes the case for keeping theaters like us alive and thriving is that you know people don't just come to the theater. They don't just come here That's and right. then leave. Mm -hmm. They come, they park, they shop, they eat, they stay in the hotels. Advocacy Group did a survey. They do a survey every five years, and five years ago, the music hall was pumping almost $10 million into the local economy in non-show-related spending. That means all the money that our audiences spent not at the music hall, but rather in Portsmouth and, and in the Seacoast when they came to a show in that annual. So to get back to that, to help recover, the arts and culture sector is, is on the forefront of that, to help draw people back downtown. Again, within the guidelines, safely, and as we start to reopen, um, we see our role as being that amplifier and making sure that we can help our restaurant friends in the in the downtown, that we can you know help those hotels bounce back and really draw tourists back um, to what is a, a very tourist-based economy here in, in Portsmouth. Well, you know, it's interesting. The music hall is such a uh, such a central part of downtown and part of Portsmouth. It hasn't always felt that way necessarily. I, you know, I grew up not too far from here, and I you know spent most of my life in New England and, and the Seacoast. And I remember when you know times were very different, not only for the music hall, but for just Portsmouth and in, in general. What are your experiences with first experiences with the music hall with Portsmouth? I mean, what are your memories of sort of getting involved with the oh, music hall community? <laughs> yeah. Well, Monty's been working here since he was twelve. So yeah. He's been a long time. Other, yeah. but so I'll I'll just my quick uh, answer to that. Uh, my memory is when I was uh, going to school at UNH, mm -hmm. and um, there were two distinct memories. One is I came uh, to an indie film. I was like, oh wow, I didn't even know this place, you know, showed film. So that mm -hmm. was uh, a fond memory. And then I was uh, really into the local music scene. I was uh, supporting bands through being their business manager and uh, helping on uh, tour, some tour management things. And it was a, it was kind of a big deal for the band to be able to play on the stage of the music hall, is mm -hmm. what I recall. And it was done, through, I think, through a local uh, Seacoast Music Awards uh, group that generally brought local bands onto the stage. But that was that was a special moment, and that's what I 
most distinctly remember in terms of my first experience. I was born and raised in Maine, so I, you know, I didn't get here until into the downtown Portsmouth area until I was going to school. Yeah, growing up, you know, I grew up in the center of, of New Hampshire, just outside of Concord, and Portsmouth, even then, was sort of the cultural capital. That's where we went. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming to the music hall for a fish show back in the 90s, and that was my first experience in the building. But yeah, working here, I answered a classified ad no in the kidding. back of the newspaper looking for a part-time uh, ticket seller. And that was 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I had seen I'd seen a couple of shows here. I'd come into a few movies. I, I also went to UNH, so it was always sort of that that, you know, oh, get out of the college town and, and come to the big city, you know, come to Portsmouth. I think through that, I had an affinity for the the building. And then I got here and started working here. It's like, I never want to leave. I want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to stay here. So dug out the basement. I hung, I, I worked production. I hung posters. You know, I did everything I could just to, to hang on. It's one of my, the, the Historic Theater Auditorium is one of my favorite rooms in the world. It, there's just some special magic about it for me. Shared this before we started recording, but uh, you know, I had an opportunity just this past weekend to to bring my wife and some of her friends and some of their uh, respective you know daughters who are all preteens and teens um, for private screening um, in the historic yes. theater, and they were I mean they were blown away. They thought it was the the coolest thing you know <laughs> being able to sit up in the balcony and that you know and sort of just just sort of having the whole space. And there were a couple people in the group who had never been before, and they were just sort of surprised and, and by how really beautiful and what a special place it is inside. So, um, yeah, I mean to tell either view this, but I think so many people really would, who have never been to the music hall or haven't been recently, it is a special place. And it's, you both have done with your unique skill set. I've mentioned, I'll mention this in the intro, but, you know, Tina was the CFO for five years with her financial background. Monty's, you know, so involved in the community is the, you know, the, the community development and everything else, you know, respective leadership this past year. I mean, it was really the right mix to help the music hall, whether the storm and keep going strong so you know as part of the musical community you know thank you both for that for doing such a such a wonderful job and with that i i do have to ask one more fun question before i let you go (laughs) do you have a favorite you know a favorite part of the musical or something that something that's particularly special to you that you that you like that came to me this season when we did the stage door cabaret series and as monty described earlier when we had people sitting on the stage and we illuminated up the uh, upwards into the rigging system and to see what it feels like sitting on that stage and the massive uh, ceiling heights that are involved there to support all that we do in the stage production Um, knowing that it is the building's original uh, rigging system is it's kind of like jaw-dropping when you start to think about uh, how many years tens tens and tens of years right that it has endured and our historian, who's also our um, production manager, Jeanne Morris, was saying that the wood is now probably the strongest that it could ever be because of how it's cured, I guess, inside uh, the building and being so well um, kept and, and not exposed to, to moisture and so forth. But that is a feature uh, of the building that there are very, very few buildings left in this country that have that. Uh, that exact feature and we're able to to do Broadway productions and to bring in modern day lighting systems um, with bands touring bands that are coming in 
that can just wow the entire audience. And um, I think it's a really special component of it. And it's something that I know we will, uh, Monty and I both, as, as well as the rest of the team, will do everything we can to preserve it while maintaining all the functionality that we need it to have uh, to be current and relevant in what we do uh, produce on stage. That's great. Yeah, so much, so much of uh, our theater is a mix of this 19th and 21st century <laughs> technology. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're still using block and tackle backstage and counterweight and all of that, and some really rigged like a tall ship. It's it's incredible. Exactly. One of my favorite features is is a similar in May. It's kind of funny. You go up above the proscenium arch, which is the the arch that frames the stage, where there. You see a picture of it, cherubs on, on, underneath, and and it's it's a beautiful sky. But if you go up above it into the into the inner working on the wall, that would be the wall of the dome that goes out over the audience. There are signatures of people who have worked here, mm. um, dating back to the 1800s, and and some that are you know recent folks that have recently left. You know, just so to see and to think about the history of the building and our place in it right now, that, that we are but stewards, and the responsibility, the possibilities there for me are, are amazing. And it, it, it honestly, it chokes me up every time I walk <laughs> up there and, and get to see it. You know, there's, it's, it's Valentino, 1888, you know, these, all these folks who worked backstage or they were shipbuilders over at the shipyard and they moonlight over uh, at the theater to, to run shows and stuff. It's just, it's amazing to see the, the history and longevity that we're able to put our unique stamp on it and, and to keep it fresh and to keep it relevant. You know, and again, it goes, it goes right back to that. It's, it's 19th century and, and 21st century. And that's, that's one of the things that I love about it. I think one thing we, we should absolutely uh, share is that uh, the HVAC system was... Um, <laughs> was Doesn't date back to the 1800s, no. no. Exactly. no. <laughs> I want to share that it's completely been updated, and this was all happening just before COVID hit. So that is one of um, our COVID silver linings. Mm -hmm. Many have many people have them, and we um, continuously need to, to share with the, the public and our patrons and supporters that that HVAC system, because of ha because we have that now, with all the modern uh, medical grade filtrations and um, it's, it also has this new ionization system that uh, kills uh, particulates and, and bacteria and germs. Because of that, because of the ceiling height, because of the space we have to work volume with, volume of space, yeah, the volume yeah. of space, so that we can socially distance people. Um, we just tallied up some figures for ourselves the other day. We've had over four thousand people mm -hmm. come through the hall or in th over a series of either our outdoor or indoor events since since July. Yep. Four thousand people. Now, normally, <laughs> on an annual basis, we are bringing one hundred and ten thousand people through our two respective theaters right so this right. is it's a snippet of what we we do but in today's context and in the context of what's happening through covid when i say that number oh my god four thousand people we've successfully been able to bring together and so far i'm knocking on wood wherever i can find it mm -hmm. we have had no covid exposures and that was a really important um, milestone for the team to to hit and to pass through we feel confident we can continue to do that for uh, this next 
you know, closing chapter of COVID. That's right. We like to think of it. That's right. Yeah, better times are are definitely on the horizon, right? Yeah. Thank you both um, for being on the podcast. More importantly, thank you both for such a great job and, and such wonderful stewardship that you provide to the to the music hall and, and, and leadership interaction. I will see you in the music hall soon. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks so much. That's it for today's episode of From the Market Square. I'm Paul Durham, we're She and Finney, and if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with others who might enjoy it. Of course, no podcast produced by lawyers would be complete without a legal disclaimer, so here goes. Any views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of She and Finney, and should not be construed as legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. This podcast is not intended to create, and your listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon anything expressed without seeking professional legal counsel. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I hope you'll join us again. Mm-hmm.